From the non-existent sanctuary, it's the IGN DigiGuys. Please welcome two men still waiting for their life clocks to change to red, Wade Major and Mark Kaiser. Cool reference, Corey. To whom do we owe that gem? That was written by Lenny Timmins. Renew, renew, renew. You get the deal. <laughs> you know, we were just talking about Nicholas uh, Winding Refn, and he's supposed to. Uh, oh yeah. Direct a new version of Logan's Run. Isn't that Logan's Run? It is. Yes. Yes. That's Logan's Run reference. Absolutely. Yeah. Life clocks. You bet. With Mister With uh, Mister Box. <laughs> renew. <laughs> Roscoe Lee Brown. Uh, you know what? Peter lo- Ustinov. That's right. And cats. That's right. <laughs> Living in the Capitol building with cats. You know what? I, I love that movie, but that movie's terrible. I, I, I mean, I love everything about it. I love the world. I love the story. Who, who would you cast in the uh, Peter Ustinov part today? Who is... Um, Quick, on the spot, on the spot. Peter Ustinov part today. I'll tell you right now. <laughs> Don't well, say Wilford Brimley. No, no, of course not. No. Get out of my... No, Clint Eastwood. R- Richard Griffiths. Oh, he'd be great. He wouldn't he be terrific. He'd be great. I mean, he can live that long. I love that. I'm always worried about him. I, you know, he does look like he's about to just drop dead of some diabetes related. Well, I, look, uh, we I saw him on the London stage, what four years ago, and I swear, I mean, it was it was then it was like the the boys uh, the boys from whatever it was it was I think he did with uh, uh, John Hurt and some other guy three guys in an asylum during uh, when the war breaks out and. Um, I swear, watching him truck around and sweat and pant on stage, I, I just thought, I, you know, how does a guy that big maintain that much stamina? Because that's stressful doing live theater. It really will, is. Well, first of all, Griffith, Griffiths is 64 years old. Yeah. Second of all, I still think that the Clint Eastwood character from Gran Torino would be the best. Yeah, maybe. Because Logan comes in, and then the guy says, get off my lawn. Get out of my Capitol building. <laughs> anyway, exactly. uh, yes. Well, so, wait, 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 and I just uh, uh, got, uh, uh, what is this? Uh, that's the other, spe- I'll, I'll deal with that in a second. What the hell is this? <laughs> I'll do. I will address that. It, 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 that's, that's exactly the reaction everyone is supposed to have. Um, yeah, the other reaction is I'm never going to buy that. <laughs> oh, anyway, wait, and I just got finished uh, popping in uh, the uh, highly anticipated... Uh, Blu-ray debut of Star Trek: The Next Generation. Now, as you know, this is. The, the, I, I understand why they're doing this, but I do think that this is kind of a little cheesy. That you actually want people to pay for this. Well, here's the, well, look. Here's the thing. Uh, you know, there have been a lot of Star Trek compilation DVDs, so it's not like they're doing this for the first time. And what uh, CBS, Paramount have done is they have obviously remastered all the episodes of Star Trek The Next Generation, and it's and the entire set is not coming out until later in the year. But what they're doing is they're teasing all of us with a uh, Blu-ray, uh, just a one-disker, called Star Trek The Next Generation, The Next Level. And it, it's, it's just a little teaser. It contains three episodes, uh, episode from uh, season one, three, and five, Encounter at Far Point, which was the pilot, mm-hmm. which is not very good. Uh, Sins of the Father, which was, uh, you know, I never liked all that Wharf Klingon politics stuff. I never yeah. liked that stuff. Yeah. I mean, I, I love the show, but I, I, I didn't like that. And The Inner Light, which is excellent. Um, so we just watched it, and it's on Blu-ray remastered. They're making a big deal out of it. And we have to say that uh, we were uh, very impressed, not blown away. Yeah, impressed, but not blown away is, is a good way of putting it. I, the menuing, it's almost like, 
and I think this is an ongoing problem with Blu-rays, is that you you look at what they're doing for a lot for stuff that people are waiting for, eagerly anticipated stuff. And it's like, okay, it's a, it's nicely the visuals, the, the 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 picture, the audio, the yeah, good, you did a good job. But they went to town on the menuing, and it's almost like I'd rather the menus be just bare. Like I, my enjoyment does not come from oh look the pop up menu up down up down up down oh look. But all Blu rays have that. I know, but it's like you you put so much money and so much effort into the menuing. I'd rather they just make that a little bit bare bones and then just. You know, give me give me better picture quality. Well, you know, they they, they worked off the original. Uh, I guess they were they they dug up the original yeah. film canisters. Yes, I guess they shot this thing on film. They did. You know, which was great for the time. You know, yeah. which is what they did for the original series too. They they dug out the film and they cleaned it up and you know they did. I mean, look, the the, the flesh tones look good. There's a lot more detail. Uh, the colors definitely pop. They you can slightly, see the zippers. You can see the zippers. They slightly spiffed up the special you effects. Can't, you can't see the zippers. And you can't see the zippers. Um, but there's a fair amount of grain. Um, I mean, not a fair amount of grain, but there is still grain. So it definitely isn't like, you know, super crystal clarity clear. Yeah. But the later episodes look better. Yeah. No, as you would imagine. Absolutely. So partly, partly because Wesley Crusher's not in them, but... Uh, He's the one. Actually, Wade, Wade has one theory as to when Star Trek The Next Generation got going, and I have another theory. Well, my theory is they, they kind of coincide, but when they got rid of Wesley Crusher, that's when it got good. Uh, my theory is that when they added higher collars to the uniforms, yeah. any episode with a higher collared uniform is worth watch, worth at least checking out. Yeah, for if, me, it's, for me, it's always about the kids. You know, the, the, all the bad stuff on. As much as I love Battlestar Galactica, the original series, it's it's uh, boxy and Daggett. I could have just strangled them both. Yeah, but I, w- I was that age, and I kind of like boxing and dad. <laughs> yeah, well, I didn't. I wanted more Athena. And I don't know what's happened to her. Who? Marin Jensen play- played Athena. Who? In, in what? Battlestar Galactica? Yeah, the daughter. I she played She played uh, Apollo's sister. I, I she was hot. Sure, why not? Crazy hot. No, she was I couldn't find out what happened to her. No, no. Who's crazy? I was Erin Gray. I'll bet she's from, aged. Erin Gray she's... from uh, uh, Buck Rogers. She was hot. Totally, yeah. Who, We're talking. Who, who, she looks say? the same now. Who, 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 what, what's the woman you just said? Marin Jensen. Marin Jensen. M a r y n. I think. M a r y n. Jensen. J-E-N-S-E-N, I think. What is it? Mary Jensen. Anyway. Okay, well, we're, here, here's our other... Here's I could our... do this all day. I just look <laughs> on the... Uh, she's 55 years old. Oh, geez. That's depressing me. And uh, she really basically stopped doing movies about her, uh, TV shows around that time. Yeah, I know. She was hot. That's really distressing. Okay, the other thing I'm going to talk about real quickly here, just so everybody knows about this, is a, the Reardon Steel edition of Atlas Shrugged Part 1. Now, as we may have uh, gone on the record as saying, is that the the, the whole fiasco of uh, Ayn Rand's Atlas Shrugged becoming a movie, and this is only Part 1. Part 2 is due this year, and no one's going to go see it. Uh, our friend Andy Klein, who is by no means... Um, oh, I any- remember her. Yeah. Yeah, she was kind of, she was hot. Yeah. In fact, I rem- she was hot. Thanks for inter- sort of- thanks for interrupting. I no one cares about that story. Uh, right? Anyway, you uh, care about hot girls. Our friend Andy Klein, who is by no means a fan of Ayn Rand, once summed this up rather quick, uh, 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 rather well. He said, "If anyone turned my favorite book into a movie this bad, I'd be really pissed off." Uh, the uh, the rumor is that the uh, ex- the option on the book was going to expire, and they just decided to do this movie any old way they could. And they had a soap opera star who wound up acting in it and directing it. He'd never directed anything before. It's not good. But this is the Reardon Steel edition of it, which comes to us um, courtesy of the Atlas Society. So you can only get this through the Atlas Society, and that means you have to go to atlassociety.org. 
David Kelly runs the Atlas Society, which is kind of like the philosophical counterpoint to the Ayn Rand Institute here in Los Angeles. Uh, the Atlas Society is the other objectivist group in New York. They don't like each other. It's a little bit like Protestants and Catholics. They all believe in Jesus. They just don't agree on, you know, doctrinal issues. Um, so anyway, if you want to get this, if you're just screaming for really cool steel case edition of Atlas Shrugged Part 1, not a good movie, um, but it's like a limited edition deal, that's where you can get it from. And it has um, three video commentaries by David Kelly and... Um, a bunch of other junk on here. Footage from the uh, the premiere and photos from the premiere. Uh, an audio thing on it on the world of Atlas Shrugged. It is strictly for Ayn Rand fans and objectivist uh, devotees uh, and people who don't care if the movie's bad. They just want something collectible. So there it is. It's uh, it's out there if you want. I don't. Mark, let's talk about new movies and then we have a giant pile of uh, of classics here. It's Oscar season. The Oscar nominations came out, yes. and uh, the artist is going to sweep everything. I'm, I'm going on record as saying that. And in uh, as always happens during Oscar season, it's just blowout time for classic movies and movies that have been nominated and uh, you know really kind of grab people's attention by tying everything into the Oscars. We're going to get to that a little bit later. But first off, Mark, we're going to talk about The Double, because you are a big fan of Topher Grace. I don't like Topher Grace. Tell us why you don't like Topher Grace, and he's then we'll talk about the double. Really, he just seems really... Uh, he, he's got that Aston Kutcher thing, yeah. uh, ironically enough. They were on the same show, obviously. <laughs> but uh, he just seems like he's really smug. I just yeah. don't like the smug. He's I a smuggy Smugenstein, and I don't like it. I like him sometimes, don't like him other times. The, uh, the double is... Um, you know, I'm liking where Richard Gere is going. By the way, one of his, his new film just uh, sold at Sundance. Yeah, the uh, arbitrage. Yeah, what it's called arbitrage. 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 You know what? I I I do like the fact that he's doing these uh, yeah. small films that are you know worthwhile. They're not yeah. all great, but at least he's he's out there swinging the bat. Yeah, but you know this film feels like oh my gosh. Uh, apart from Topher Grace, Richard Gere, who gets top billing above Grace. Oh gee, I wonder why. <laughs> and uh, Martin Sheen even shows up in this thing. I um, it did get a theatrical release, but it. it still felt like it was forced I think a little bit it it just doesn't it like would this have been a theatrical release in the 80s or would this have had a lesser cast and gone straight to video it would, it would have had a lesser cast yeah it would have see that's that's why I looked at this and I thought wow you know for a feature fi- a film it should have been a feature film but it should it really no it's 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 almost like everybody's slumming a little bit in this thing it's um it, it's like an old school cold war thriller and they try to update it a little bit, send it all around the murder of a senator and, uh, you know, this uh, this Russian agent. And it just feels kind of convoluted and uh, like somebody, like a, like a spec script that would never have sold to the studios way back, wound up selling to a lesser company and they somehow got it made. Anyway, audio commentary, featurette, trailer. Not great, but not terrible. If you like the, like the actors, fine. Wade. Hello. Hi. <laughs> Uh, Brighton, Rock, Brighton Rock is uh, uh, directed by Rowan Joffe. Rowan Joffe is the son of um, Roland Joffe, of course, from The Killing Fields. And, um, you know, I read the Graham Green book. I'm a big fan of the Graham Green book, Brighton Rock. They, they changed the backdrop for this, though. They did. They updated it. Yeah, they, they updated, updated it. it to because uh, the original film had Richard Attenborough in it. And Richard it, and Attenborough was was the uh, was like the young teenage punk. Yeah, yeah and he young was te- amazing, and he was great in it. Oh, so incredible. Part of the problem with the new film is Sam Riley uh, is you know what the th- the 
There's a couple problems with this film. I mean, I think that it's very respectable. I think that all the choices he's making, he thinks he's making for the for the betterment of the film. I don't think he's disrespecting the material. But ultimately, um, <clears throat> I just don't think that Riley really... He's almost too mature. He's got a baby face, but he's too mature for this role. I, you know, when you read the book, you know, Pinky Brown just seems like this... He seems like he's just this 12-year-old... Mm-hmm want to be gangster i mean he just seems so young and somehow just through the force of his evil he gets away with what he does and here you got sam riley who seems like he's in his like you know mid-20s he just seems too old he's not that convincing and also the one thing i i was surprised at is that they actually changed the ending and the ending in the book was pretty devastating uh the ending in the um Movie less so. Andrea Riseborough, who's sort of this uh, hot up and coming English actress, she uh, stars in the film, and uh, you know uh, she is not the beneficiary of some great uh, choices by Roman Joffe. But um, if you like the book, go for it. I personally much prefer the Attenborough version. Uh, there's a behind the scenes featurette, some interviews on the DVD, not the Blu-ray. We don't have the Blu-ray, Ray. Uh, Blu-ray, Wade. No, they, they didn't send us the Blu-ray. Darn you know, man. Mark. Oh, my gosh, Mark. What is that? Oh, ew, ew. ew what is that? It's a beating heart. It's made out of... Something. Ew. What is that? This is, this is the, the disadvantage to having an audio it's show. Basically, it's basically one of, the, one, of those, one of those little executive stress balls that you squeeze in your hand, and it's in the shape of a heart. You like the little artery. The big shape of a red heart, a, a, a severed red heart. Yes. There are people who work at companies that are hired by studios and all kinds of marketing people to come up with weird little marketing ideas like they'll say we need something that we can help that they can help market a, a, this uh, this blu-ray this dvd this uh, pickaxe uh what do you what do you have and then the people who work at these companies will go we have a pencil uh with the head that is shaped like a, a nose Stuff a like pencil that. Pencil that's shaped like a nose. Whatever. I hate the fact that I can't read the writing on this thing <laughs> without my glasses, and then I put my new glasses on, and I can freaking read the writing. So it what pisses is it, me off. What does it say to you? What, what, Mark, tell people what this this horrible red bleeding heart squishy thing. Well, without my glasses, it says the woman Shrenaga twenty four. With my glasses, it says she'll rip your heart out. The woman on DVD January twenty four. Oh jeez. Okay, the woman. For those of you that don't know, I got the the Blu-ray here in my hand. And it's good-looking Blu-ray. The movie is not extremely well shot. It it's, it looks a little bit like video. A lot of wide-angle stuff. It's not you know exquisite, but it's adequate for a Blu-ray. This is from the Bloody Disgusting Selects series, uh, courtesy of Vivendi. And here's the deal with the woman, um, because a lot of people this 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 had walkouts at Sundance last year. I don't know if you know that people walked out. I think somebody may have even have passed out. It's not that horrifying. It's a, it's a horror film from Lucky McKee. It was kind of disappointing me, and not because the film is incompetently made. It's an, it's an amusing tongue-in-cheek kind of, you know, gore cannibal film. But Lucky McKee made, uh, three years ago or four, three and a half years ago, made Red. You remember Red with Brian Cox? That yes. That was an incredibly good That's movie. That's a good movie That's where, a where, where movie. somebody shoots his dog. Is it? It's based on a Hank Ketchum story, and Hank Wait. Ketchum, of course, you know, a horror writer, uh, kind of like a second-tier uh, Stephen King. But Ketchum had written, or Jack Ketchum, Jack Ketchum. Uh, Wait, I actually reviewed that film. Did you? 
Hank, 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 Hank Ketchum created uh, Dennis Menace. Never mind. Jack Ketchum. Uh, Jack Ketchum uh, did the story, and uh, it's based on a story of his about a guy. You remember Brian Cox? That they shoot his dog, and he basically takes, you know, unleashes all kind of psychological horror, vigilante hell on the guys and, and the dad who were responsible for killing his dog. Uh, the, the I would have expected Lucky McKee to go on and make real movies after that, but he's gone back to the well, and he made The Woman. Now, The Woman is about a, a mild-mannered guy who finds, or rather traps, a, a cannibalistic feral woman in, that he, he sees in the woods and then locks her up in the, in the basement to try and civilize her. Sort of like, you know, My Fair Lady, except with cannibalism. And... Um, Needless to say, uh, the family kind of, sort of, some of them get in on the deal. The son is in on it. The the daughter and the wife, not so much. They're a little bit horrified. But this thing goes, it, it goes bad. It goes really bad. Eliza Doolittle does not learn to become a duchess. That's the bottom line here. And uh, this is actually a sequel of sorts. Nobody realized this at the time, I don't think. Uh, I talked about it on the radio. But there was a film made uh, a few years previous in 2009, the year after... Lucky McKee made Red, um, called, and this, this was released as part of the Ghost House Underground series. Um, this was called Offspring, also based on a book by Jack Ketchum. This was directed by Andrew Van de Houten, who's a producer on uh, The Woman, and that had the same actress playing the same part. Um, which is that this is, Offspring was all about these, this cannibalistic. Uh, Group of weird cultish people who live in the uh, in the woods, and they you know. Eat Why would really watch this movie? Come on. Anyway, same actress, and uh, this winds up being a semi sequel. She's really good, um, but nothing else about the movie is really all that good. So, so let's stop talking about it. Okay, that's we'll what I that. say. We'll do that. <laughs> anyway, Pollyanna McIntosh, by the way, is the woman. Not that I'm, I, I feel bad. Am I associating her with something she doesn't want to be associated with? Uh, no one cares. Let's move on. Okay, moving on. Uh, the Mill and the Cross. This is a weird movie. Uh, got a Blu-ray and a DVD here. They, the Blu-ray really is the only way you should watch this, but this is an extremely odd and uh, bewitching movie. Uh, speaking about Logan's Run earlier, Michael York is in this thing. This is very peculiar. This is from a Polish director named Lech Lech Walesa? Lech Maszewski, I think is how you're supposed to pronounce it. Uh, Otherwise, I would call it Lech uh, Majewski. But somehow I have a feeling that Majewski isn't the way you're supposed to pronounce it. No. Uh, Lech Maszewski. Anyway, this is this is a a really odd kind of impressionistic film um, that sort of tries to recreate a lot of 16th century Flemish painting in the frame. So the whole movie is kind of done digital in a way that looks like Flemish painting. It's a little bit forced and a little bit odd, but kind of impressionistically cool. Um, it's a co-production with Sweden, so you wind up getting you know a very peculiar cast in here. Um, Rutger Hauer and Charlotte Rampling alongside Michael York. You know, It's like they call people together from all over Europe to try and get all of their tax incentives. But um, it's okay. Uh, you know, Charlotte Rampling is the Virgin Mary. I don't buy it. <laughs> Not for a second. But, uh, you know, it, it just visually it's interesting. The, uh, the drama around it doesn't really make much sense. The script isn't that great. But visually it's interesting. 
Uh, wait, there's a uh, real love it or hate it film that came out last year called uh, Meek's Cutoff. Meek's Cutoff was made by... Uh, Boy, that, by... That, that got a few votes uh, for Best Picture of the Year when we voted. That is true. Kelly Reichardt uh, directed it, and uh, Kelly Reichardt, very talented uh, Extremely filmmaker. talented. She's very good. Uh, Meek's Cutoff is a very strange film. It is extremely sparse and slow and minimalist and reserved. And it is about the, uh, it takes place in the uh, mid-1840s, and it's about the early days of the Oregon Trail and a wagon train that, that goes across the mountains and tries to survive. And what uh, people both loved about it and hated about it is that it is 104 minutes of just spare, intimate, meandering, stripped-down filmmaking. I I, des- I would describe this at the time if Antonioni had done a remake of The Searchers, this is what it would have been. That's yeah. Probably true. Yeah. Actually, um, I think ultimately when it comes to the uh, the actual story being told, it's pretty conventional. It's just the way it's being told. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, I tend to not like films like this because they're sort of up their own butt a little bit. But uh, I did like this film because I, I I like Kelly Reichardt. I think she's really terrific. Um, you know, this played at Venice and Toronto, and it played at Sundance, and it, it had a lot of very passionate uh, defenders. But also people who hated it too. Uh, I liked it. I, th- I think you know what? I think this is worth a rental because it's a new experience. It's a new way to experience a western. Frankly, it's probably as close to what Western Frontier life was really like than any other film because it's Frontier Western life traveling along the Oregon Trail was probably incredibly boring. You think? Just as boring as this film. You think? No Wi-Fi on the Oregon Trail. There was no Wi-Fi. No, it was, it was a 3G only. Um, <laughs> Anyway, so uh, this is good stuff. Uh, there's a couple special features, although they could have done better on that. But also the good folks at Oscilloscope uh, package the DVD in a very creative way. Well, they do all of their, their eco-packaging. And, but uh, here it works. It's a frontier story. So the fact totally. that it's in like this cardboardy uh, yeah, packaging yeah, yeah. really works. I like I, it. I agree. Anyway, Meek's cut off worth the rental, but you may love it. But you know what? You also may hate it. Well, yeah. I mean, Kelly Reichert. If you know Kelly Reichert... Uh, uh, you know, River of Grass and all that kind of stuff. You, you you sort of know what you're getting into. You know what? A movie that tanked last year, and it makes me so heartbroken because I really do like this movie a lot. The Big Year, Mark. It, it has both the theatrical version and the unrated version. Oh, thank God. <laughs> Naked birds having sex in the unrated version. Um, you know what? The, the, really no no significant difference between them, i got to be honest with you. The, the, the Big Year is a terrific film. They're just trying to uh, get a little bit of marketing juice out of this. Um, and really, not much by way of extras here either. But it's on Blu-ray, and it looks very nice on Blu-ray. Um, the only extras here is is um, this weird BD Live thing behind the scenes, which you know, I, I you know how we feel about BFD Live. But the big year is about three guys: Jack Black, Steve Martin, and Owen Wilson, who are competing for the big year, which is the this thing that the Audubon Society does, where um, you have to actually see you, it, for bird watchers. You have to, and they're called it's called birding, not. Bird Bird watching, but birding. And people who go birding, they have to go and try and see as many North American birds as they possibly can over the course of one year. And how do we verify this? It's the honor system. You just claim that you've seen them. You just say, I saw this, and I saw this, and I saw this. And you just document it, and they take your word for it. And they're all competing for the big year. But this is not like a sports film, because ultimately it doesn't matter. It's about how the effort changes their lives. They're all different kinds of guys. Owen Wilson is the guy who was the champion the previous year, doesn't want anybody to knock off his record. Jack Black is a schlubby loser, lives with his parents, can't afford to fly all over the place, but somehow he's going to do it because it's the first thing that he, first time he can really do something with his life. 
Steve Martin's the guy. He's the rich CEO, but he's never been able to do what he always wanted to do. You're shaking your head. This is it's so well, sweet. Well, because this the is thing. the kind of film that would have been like a, gr- a terrific film in the '80s. People would have gone to see this. And no, for because, some re- no, because it, you know what? It doesn't have that. Uh, it doesn't have the, the cleverness and the charm of those. You mean like Stripes, those Bill Murray films? No, but like like some kind of a. You know, see, the, the 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 problem is that is that if. if if you're going to put together Jack Black, Steve Martin, and Owen Wilson, I expect a better film than this. But it's such a sweet film. I mean, it really is. It's very endearing. It's, uh, it's, it's nicely written, and it's extremely well-directed. I thought it was terrifically well-directed by David Frankel, who I adore, by the way. Uh, David Frankel is a sensational director. has been impressing me for years. He did The Devil Wears Prada. Um, he did, uh, oh, what was that? Um, oh, gosh, what was it? Miami Rhapsody. Back in the 90s, like 20 years ago. Oh, he did I my, liked Miami Rhapsody. See, he's good. I'm telling you. Everybody criticized him as, oh, it's a wannabe Woody Allen movie. No, David Frankel. He's my man. The big year. Make up for the fact that you didn't see it in theaters and go re- get the Blu-ray. It's terrific. Yeah, whatever. I don't believe you. I think it's good. Lying. Totally good. Uh, Wade, there's a very talented filmmaker who's uh, not making very good films lately. Um, Andrew Nichol is the guy who wrote uh, Gattaca, mm-hmm. let's say. Yeah. And uh, what else did Andrew Nichol do? He did all sorts of crazy stuff. He's very talented. And uh, he, did a, um, fi- he did a film last year called In Time. Mm-hmm. And In Time, you know, we're, now we're talking about Logan's Run just uh, moments ago. Yeah. And uh, In Time is very sort of Logan's Run. It's about a world where, um, uh, where there is no money. Money is actually time, where a cup of coffee costs you uh, mm-hmm. f- five minutes and a new Mercedes costs you a year. And your time is 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 uh, kept track of with this little clock on your arm, and when you run out of time, you die. And Justin Timberlake uh, plays uh, the hero of the film, and uh, you know I was, uh, I, and he winds up inheriting like a hundred million, hundred million years. You can basically live forever, because you know because he has all the time slash money in the world. So yeah. You can buy all the Mercedes he wants. You can buy anything he wants. Fabulous. And uh, and people are after him to find out how he got all of this time yeah and uh yeah, you know I, and the thing is is that is that i think andrew nichols does a good job of of taking the conceit seriously i mean there's a lot of jokey dialogue in it you know but and some of that gets tiresome but i think he does a good job of making you believe that this is the world um but i think it winds up being just a very conventional uh sort of thriller and i think justin timberlake is talented i think he's a talented kid i really do i like justin timberlake I don't know about his music, uh, what the, what whatever the hell he does, Baby Got Back or something, or Sexy Back. I don't know what the hell he does, but um, <laughs> but I can tell you, he's charming. He's he's charming. He's funny. I like him a lot. But I, he's not a leading action man at this point. Uh, maybe someday he will be. But um, yeah, and Amanda Seyfried is just is just a cold fish, directed to be a cold fish, but just is a cold fish. Uh, the good news is that the film looks good. It's on Blu-ray and DVD. There's a, a Blu-ray, a DVD, and a digital copy in the uh, in-time release. There's a couple of um, uh, there's a couple of special features, but nothing really uh, nothing really interesting. There's that uh, horrible beady live crap that yeah. the special features are on. But Andrew Nichols is a guy to watch. I mean, look, you know, he uh, he wrote and directed Gattaca. I really liked Lord of War. I thought that was terrific. Mm-hmm. Um, not a big fan of the terminal. Didn't like uh, uh, Simone. The, I love the Simone. Film. I love Simone. But, I think it's so funny. But he did write the Truman Show, which really kind of got him a lot of attention. I, I I think that he can still be a great visionary sci-fi guy. I just to, think he needs to straighten it out. He needs to straighten it out and not do it on a studio level. Is what he needs to do. Yeah. So anyway, in time uh, is, a, is 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 a good rental. 
It's a good concept, flawed execution. Uh, Texas Killing Fields. This is the directing debut from Michael Mann's daughter, Amy Kanan Mann. And Michael Mann threw his name all over this thing to try and get his daughter's movie out there. Uh, you know what? It's it's not terrible. It's not great. It's just it's a middling cop film. But I got to say this: Is there anybody who's who who went from really potentially being the biggest star in Hollywood to just being like straight to video, barely making it, just crap movie hell, like Sam Worthington? I mean, this guy was an Avatar. He starred in two of the biggest franchises in movie history, Terminator and Avatar. And Avatar. And then, and he was supposed to be the new Mad Max at a certain point until... Uh, well, Tom Hardy is... I Tom, mean, I yeah. love Tom Hardy. No, that I, guy's, I do too. That guy's the S. But He's the S. He is. He is. <laughs> He's but, the but, S. But, Tom, but, you know, before Tom Hardy was on board, it was Sam Worthington because he is Australian. And now it's just like, really, man on a ledge? Are you kidding me? I know. Are you kidding me? It's just like one crap movie after you know what? another. Here's the thing, though. Ultimately, Sam Worthington, the guy, he's got, he's got nothing. He projects no... I know. He projects no energy. He projects no star power. Mm, he's yeah. just this weird, empty guy. Well, anyway... And he's he, not a horrible no. actor, technically. It's just that he doesn't project much. He is in this, along with uh, Jeffrey Dean Morgan. Basically, it's just a straight-up uh, serial killer movie based on true events. There's a serial killer who's dumping body parts and bodies in this in this Texas marsh that's outside the jurisdiction of these two cops. Uh, Jeffrey Dean Morgan is the cop who can't let it go. He can't let it go. He's obsessed. And Sam Worthington's the by-the-book guy who's got to let it go because it's not in our jurisdiction. Jessica Chastain is, the, uh, is a government agent who's... Uh, you know that's it's really her it's her case, and then Chloe Grace Moretz is uh, you know this girl who comes from a bad family background, maybe the linchpin as to what's really going on. The whole thing ultimately doesn't really make sense. It completely disintegrates at the end. Um, no reason to get this on Blu-ray. It's on Blu-ray and on DVD. It's not terribly well shot. It's kind of grainy, kind of you know muddy. And uh, Michael Mann throwing his name on it isn't really going to salvage his daughter's career. She She's not... Look, there's a million people who could have done this movie just as well or better. And um, she's okay. She gives good commentary here with the writer Donald Ferrarone, or Ferraroni. But um, ultimately, let me just point out, of all the movies that Jessica Chastain made last year, almost all of which we gave her an award for. Remember when in our voting, we was like, oh, let's give her an award for this and this and this and this and this. The one movie that did not come up was not even mentioned. This one. <laughs> Yeah. 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 Uh, Wade. As long as we're on a Logan's Run run. <laughs> Logan's Run run. The whole the whole show is all kind of Logan's Run oriented. Mark. It really is. Yeah. Uh, Drive, one of my favorite films of uh, last year. This is a film uh, by a director who I am starting to uh, revere as much as I love, like, P.T. Anderson. I love, I, I, agree I, I love every choice this guy makes. Nicholas Winding Ref and this guy is, like, unbelievably good. I mentioned last week, I watched this, like, three times on the plane. I did. Well, you were born. I watched it three times on the plane. Uh, Ryan Gosling plays a... The alternative uh, was Real Steel. Am I well, you, 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 you would think after dry, watching Drive twice, just uh, just for variety, you would watch Real Steel once. I, I switched over to Real Steel, and there was like a robot doing some crap, and I just thought there's no effing way. <laughs> oh, Wade with the effing. I like yeah, that. there you go. Uh, anyway, uh, Ryan Gosling plays a uh, stunt driver by day and a getaway driver by night, and he hooks up with a... Um, a young mother played by Carrie Mulligan with a troubled uh, family life. And uh, I won't tell you anything more because I love this film. You know what? It, when you watch this film, you realize that movie making, every single, every single part of a movie is a choice by the director. 
and the actress too, and cinematographer and X, Y, and Z. But the, the, here's the but difference. But it's all between... that choices, and Revan always Absolutely. makes the most interesting choice. He could have directed Texas Killing Fields and nailed it and knocked it out of the park. Because Drive, really, in any other director's hands, would have been just some okay thing. And but it, he finds those moments where he insinuates himself into them, and he just like turns it up to 11, and it's amazing. Well, people hated this film because they thought, oh, this, it's not Fast and Furious. This is, you know what, this is the opposite of Fast and Furious. And, it's and, internal. And just, and from the get-go, Refn tells you what he's about, because the film starts with the driver, Ryan Gosling. We don't know his name, he's just known as the driver. Uh, with Ryan Gosling as the getaway driver trying to make the trying to escape the cops with these guys who just robbed some sort of a warehouse and when these guys get into the back seat of Ryan Gosling's car and says go to escape because he's the getaway driver we expect you know 90 miles an hour down the freeway and crazy crashes and crazy stunts and but no Refn in the very first scene of the film gives you a chase where for half of it Ryan Gosling is going like the speed limit because and, 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 and slower because totally. it's all about trying to outthink the cops not outrace the cops and when Refn does that he's saying this is the type of film I'm making I'm not making Fast and Furious I'm not making Bullet I'm making this you know oddly existential interior sort of uh, chase film and I love that he did that. I love the fact that half of that chase at the beginning was awesome. a guy going 35 miles an hour. And I thought he is just putting a stamp on it. And uh, can't say enough about Albert Brooks, who is, you know, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a fine performance, but it's also great casting. It's just a, it's, it's a piece of trick casting. It's brilliant. It totally works. Did you follow all of Patton after Albert Brooks was unexpectedly snubbed at the Oscars? I think I'll put this over here. <laughs> Give me just, did you after Albert Brooks was unexpectedly snubbed at the Oscars? Did you did you hear the whole tweet thing, the the uh, Patton Oswalt tweet thing? Did you follow this? No, what was it? I think Twitter is the stupidest thing ever. But but Patton Oswalt did a whole series of tweets that morning after you know for all the snubbies. It's the funniest damn stuff ever. I'm going to read just a few of. Them. Uh, join me for a drink at the drawing room at Albert Brooks. Me and Circus have been here since 6 a.m., meaning Andy Circus, right? Right, because he didn't <clears> get nominated Because he didn't get nominated either. And then, ne- then a few minutes later, Albert Brooks, see you later tonight, might be out of booze. Circus has pogues on the jukebox, and Fassbender just showed up in a pirate hat. <laughs> and then he says, Albert Brooks, oh, S, we're definitely going to run out of booze. Charlize and Tilda just pulled up in a stolen police car. Yeah. And this is where it gets crazy. Albert Brooks, dude, get down here. Gosling is doing keg stands, and Olsen and Dunst literally just emerged from a shower of rose petals. So everybody who got snubbed for the Oscar. He's mentioned them all. Albert Brooks, Nolte and Plummer just drove past, mooning us. Circus and Tilda are signing, is their life on Mars? Albert Brooks, oops, Von Trier just pulled up in a pass van, dressed as Goering. Let's go to Legoland with a boozy hurrah. We're out. Albert Brooks, oh my God. Just pulled up to Legoland. DiCaprio's rented the park for the day. Dibs on the Duplo Gardens. And scene. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Pat Oswalt's the best. I actually saw him recently. Did did we talk about this last week? I saw him. um, I I went to a live reading Mm -hmm. of um, Shampoo. Jason Reitman. No kidding. Did I talk about this last week? No. Jason Reitman directed a live reading of Shampoo. How bizarre. And so get this. It was Jason Reitman. You know, it's, yeah. just, it's, sure. a, it's, it's a script yeah. read. It's a table read, basically. And people came to view this table read. And the actors were right there in front of you on stage reading the script of Shampoo, the classic uh, Hal Ashby, Warren Beatty film. And it was uh, Bradley Cooper, 
in the Warren Beatty role, mm-hmm. Bradley Cooper right up there, right 10 feet from us reading. In the Goldie Hawn role, Kate Hudson. Yeah. Pretty cool. Goldie Hawn's daughter sure. playing Goldie Hawn's role in the film. Yeah. And uh, Julie Christie role played by Olivia Wilde. She was there. Very Pretty beautiful. Cool. And um, also uh, Patton Oswalt played like a, a number of parts. Anyway, it was great. Mm-hmm. And I can't remember why I uh, brought that up. Why did I bring that up? I don't know. Patton Oswalt. Oh, but, uh, Patton Oswalt. Drive. We yes, segued yes, from yes. Drive to Albert Brooks. Anyway, Drive's Oswald. great. Buy it. Don't rent it. Yeah. Buy it. The end. <laughs> um, you know what? I'm uh, Before you get to that unnecessary remake. Well, prequel. Uh, uh, pre- prequel. Remake prequel. Yeah, it's, we'll, uh, yeah whatever. We'll talk stop. about it. It's, it's, it's all semantics at that point. Uh, wait, I'm a little worried about Daniel Craig. I am too. I as long know. as we were talking, we were talking. It, it's this is the same problem again as with Sam Worthington. I it's, feel I know. I, you know, he's he's making choices that don't seem bad on their face. Well, this well this movie Dreamhouse is definitely a bad choice, but he's making choices that don't seem bad on their face, like you know, cowboys and aliens, whatever. Yeah. But they're just not good movies, and I feel no. like he's I'm I'm losing. He's getting the paychecks. He's getting the paychecks. I'm I, I'm not zazzed by him anymore. I feel like yeah. the, the, the like when I see him. I don't feel the luster anymore. The luster is yeah. gone, you know? Yeah. And uh, I hope he can put it back together. Yeah, he, he will. I mean, you know, he's Dra- a great... Dra- he- Dragon Tattoo, he was willing to be upstaged by Rooney Mara, and that's a, that's and good on him for that. Yeah. But ultimately, he was upstaged by Rooney Mara. I was, I was amazed that, they, that he even took that part, because the guy the, 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 in the Swedish film is kind of schlubby. You know, he's not, a, he's not a hunk. He's not sexy. He's not ripped. I mean, why do you put nah? Never mind. I mean, why Go you put on, James Bond on. in that role? I mean, that's that, but that's part of what makes yeah. that dynamic in the original film so much better than, than the dynamic in the Fincher film. Yeah. Anyway, um, uh, Dreamhouse is uh, with the, it's a good cast: the Daniel Craig, Naomi Watts, uh, Rachel Weisz. It's um, one of those psychological thrillers where this like big Manhattan uh, mucky muck relocates with his wife and daughters to some little New England town, and the the yeah. home is haunted. It, it's yeah. it's just it's it's kind of a crackpot Amityville. thing. Amityville it's very horror. obvious. It's very high. It's right. It's like high gloss Amityville stuff. As Craig, you know, investigates what happened in this house, and uh, you know, it's just a dud. It's just a dud. There's so many other things you could be renting instead of this dream house. Uh, the Blu-ray DVD digital copy combo disc set of The Thing is an inexplicable movie. And here's why. It's uh, technically a prequel to John Carpenter's uh, remake of The Thing, but it really is just a remake. It's it's like it, there's nothing that distinguishes this from the other one. It's all the same stuff except with a CGI thing that just isn't nearly as impressive or as scary. Um the only thing that's interesting about this is that, you know, they, they wrap it around at the end and there's a little connective tissue so that fans of the Carpenter film who know exactly how it begins, they all go, ooh, yeah, cool, but not really. Um, th- this is m- almost in some sense a remake of Alien, to be honest, with uh, Mary Elizabeth Winstead as um, in the, the uh, Ripley part. Uh, you know, yeah, you get to kind of, you know, there's a few things here that they didn't do in the Carpenter film. You said things. Uh, the... the uh, but the bonus features don't even save it. You know, there's uh, there's featurettes and a commentary with uh, director Matthias van Heingenden, however you pronounce it, along with his producer. It's um, it's just it's unfortunate. It just goes through the same exact motions, you know. And uh, who is the thing? Who isn't the thing? And uh, I don't know. It just it looks good but it sounds good and it's spooky and if you have a really kicking system and you really want to blare it out of your speakers there'll be a lot of big boom moments where the soundtrack goes Dump. but that's not a scare to me it's you know not what a scare, that's I a agree. cheap scare that's a, you know what you know what that is that's a post production scare 
Yeah. We should, we should call them post-production scares, where it's a scare based on the music sting or the sound effect. That's not film. That's not like, you know, filmmaking. That's All right. Cheap. We've got a, a bunch of uh, – I'm going to read a, a one letter this week because we don't have time for more. But uh, this was worth reading. And then I'm going to blow through a bunch of uh, uh, Manufacture on Demand titles, M.O.D., and then um, we'll wrap out with the rest of the new movies. Wait. Eric Altieri. I know, I know. I like these movies. I know you do. I, I know like you. this movie, too. <laughs> one, we're going to get to them. We're going to get to them. We're getting to them. This is, we're getting into our Oscar stuff now. But this is, you know. I know. Okay. Sometimes I don't see what Wade. Wade comes over with a big box full of the stuff we're going to talk about. You know, and then I go through them and I you watch them and you whatever and you check out the the video quality and the audio quality yeah. whatever but sometimes he surprises me yeah with stuff that I don't know is that's coming. that's part of the thrill of the show exactly is to get your reaction exactly. uh, anyway Eric Altieri long time listener writes us and he says uh, catching up on last week's episode got uh, two quick things for you guys regarding the Netflix Warner Brothers dispute you mentioned Netflix will have to go somewhere else to get the DVDs I worked for Hollywood Video once um, once upon a part time job and I remember being sent to Walmart a few times to pick up DVDs for films like Planet Terror and Hannibal Rising because we didn't have rights with the studio for them it was such an inside job I caught a glimpse of a corporate memo instructing store managers to do so we were renting DVDs that had the disclaimer for private home video use only I remember working and thinking this is so illegal isn't that amazing I mean now that Hollywood video is done who cares but I, that blows my mind Eric that's a great story well I mean it's done it's, it just goes to show that it's done constantly yeah. it's just, it, 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 is, it is a but it is industry practice that nobody talks about even with a corporate memo uh, and then he says, hearing your review, I don't know how she does it, was a special moment for me. That's the first time you've mentioned a film that I worked on. Looking forward to more. He was a, he was a, a PA on that back east. Apparently a lot of stuff going on in the Boston, New Hampshire area that, uh, you know, it's a busy, busy time back there. You know, Boston is, a, is, is you know, there have been plenty of films that, have, that obviously have taken place in Boston. Yeah. But um, Boston is kind of an untapped movie town. Yeah. Because it's got so much personality and so many great little neighborhoods and little stores and you, I'm surprised that more films have not taken place in yep. Boston. And yep. not just like the town and, uh, and uh, Fever Pitch or whatever. Like real good movies. More of them. So really quickly, uh, going to go through a bunch of stuff here from uh, that are all, these are all manufacturer on demand titles. Most of them from the MGM Fox uh, series. This one is a Warner Archive collection film. This is Jane Fonda's screen debut in Tall Story, which was uh, came courtesy to of Joshua Logan. Now Joshua Logan, for those who don't know, was a big deal uh, director in the '60s. Did stuff like Paint Your Wagon, uh, Mr. Roberts. A lot of great musicals, and he also did a lot of crap. And Tall Story is is sort of crap. Um, not a great performance by Jane Fonda, but it is her first moment on uh, on screen, and I guess that's worth something. Um, she, you know, all she wants to do is marry a basketball player, and that basketball player would be Anthony Perkins. Uh, really quite a silly movie but um, you know it's got like some interesting supporting performances in it uh, among them Ray Walston and the most bizarre thing about this is that the screenplay it's based on a, on a, on a play but the screenplay is by Julius Epstein for crying out loud Casa, wow. Casablanca Julius Epstein yeah it's just so bizarre I but didn't anyway. realize he worked that uh, I, I, I didn't realize his career spanned that many decades well you know he, he, at this point it's like uh, 1960 and you're, you're you're happy to the people still call you up <laughs> 
Um, some of the other stuff here we've got. Uh, let's go. Let's blow through these MGM things. We got Getting It Right, uh, which was a Randall Kleiser directed film. Um, gosh, this is just so bizarre. I, I mean, didn't realize Randall Kleiser, uh, you know, even had some of this stuff in his closet. Um, Randall Kleiser. He felt- directed Grease too. Yes, he did. This is a forgotten little film that he did in 1989. Um, it's got a great cast. Peter Cook, Helena Bonham Carter, John Gielgud, Jane Horrocks, Lynn Redgrave, and then some guy named Jesse Birdsall, who I don't get it anyway. Who, who's, uh, it's basically one of those, uh, you know, losing your, virgin, your, your virginity films except done English style. And then we've got um, uh, Diary of a Bachelor, which is kind of a, a weird, cute little classic. Uh, this is uh, directed by Sandy Howard, and uh, it's kind of a weird little offbeat, black-and-white, um, quirky classic that comes to us courtesy of Ryan Library. And, uh, you know, Dom DeLuise is in it, and uh, not really any other reason to get this. It's just a, kind of a, you know... It's it's what it means to be a bachelor. What do you what do you want? Um, Hostile witness with Ray Milland and Sylvia Sims. This is kind of a uh, not really a it's 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 like a, a courtroom drama done very very theatrically because it's based on a play uh, played by Jack Roffey. Um, Ray Milland actually directed this himself. Not a great film, just but you know especially with TV dramas being what they are. But it's it's okay if you're a Ray Milland fan. It's it's there. Uh, the Magnetic Monster is an incredibly silly but rather amusing um, B movie, directed by Kurt Syadmak, who uh, did a lot of legitimate films. And this is one of the ones that feels like he's almost going into B movie territory, but doesn't want to. Like he's being dragged reluctantly against his will back from 1953. Very radioactive sort of early Cold War film uh, Nutcracker the motion picture uh, Carol Ballard directed this you know Carol Ballard from my alma mater UCLA who did The Black Stallion and Never Cry Wolf and a lot of other great films um, this is uh, basically Carol Ballard just doing the uh, the Nutcracker holiday style um, his way little you know little style little pizzazz not quite so theatrical The 1000 Plane Raid uh, this will you know, really, really make you realize how far we've come as far as war films go. You know uh, what the sequel to that was called? The 1001 Plane No, no, raid. it was the 1000 Plane Raid 2. Don't confuse me. <laughs> uh, this is a very generic but respectably done World War II film um, about a, uh, a, a daylight bombing raid that's supposed to bring the war to a, a precipitous end. Um, you know, it, it, this is not a famous film for good reason. It's It's sort of... It's there really just for people who love war films. Not a, not a really a distinguished cast. Not really that well done. Boris Segal directed it. Uh, the Bed-Sitting Room is a film I actually saw <clears throat> excuse me, a lot growing up and really? loved never, it. Did you really? I loved this film growing up. Watching it again, it's I not thought, great. oh my gosh, it's, just it's bizarre. really not. No. It's all over the map. Well, Richard Lester, this is, you know, Richard Lester, we love Richard Lester because he's made so many great films, but interspersed with all those great films are just some really weird choices. And this is one of them. Richard Lester is certainly one of the great all-time directors of that uh, British angry young men period, even though he's American-born. Um, and a great cast here. Again, Peter Cook, Ralph Richardson, uh, uh, Harry Seacombe. Um, Arthur Lowe. I mean, a really great English cast. Dudley Moore and uh, and Rita Tushingham star. But if, if if you want to see Lester tackle that this sort of crazy out there wild aesthetic and just yeah. nail it, you got to yeah. see the knack. Yeah. And how to get it. Anyway. Uh, Hard Day's Night. Even Patulia. Even uh, uh, Patulia. 
This here is, is just it's a weird post-apocalyptic well, story. Well, I, I used that, to think that it, I used to think that it was a, it was kind of a cool little. I didn't realize it was post-apocalyptic when I was a kid, but you know, the, here I thought it was just like a cool fantasy, like uh, Willy Wonka or something. But no, it's just post-apocalyptic, and uh, it's a lot of weird little kind of sketch-like bits, like a guy cr- turns into a parrot, and it's it it just gets very bizarre. So you know, misfire, misfire. Uh, Oliver Reed and Michael J. Pollard in Michael Winner's Hannibal Brooks. This was kind of a, a, a popular film at its time. Um, it's a it's a World War. It kind of a, it sort of wanted to be Mash and didn't really succeed as Mash. Um, but uh, it's you know it takes place at a zoo and I'll forget it. Although it, although he, he, I, I will say one thing. Huh. Michael Winner, believe it or not, has the funniest Twitter account. Really. I was on like moviecitynews.com or one of those, you know, movie mm-hmm. news aggregate sites. Yeah. And they follow filmmakers. Sure. And their, their Twitter feeds. And Michael Winner, who's like got to be in his 70s. Oh, yeah. Easy. He's got a Twitter account and yeah. he's on it all the time. And he says the, he says the funniest because he's old and doesn't care anymore. Yeah. <laughs> he's great. Awesome. I, it, it, I will not I, unless it's Patton Oswalt. You're it's gonna have to drag me kicking and screaming. I, I, I totally, I totally understand and uh, do not disagree. All right, we have uh, what what Mark was going nuts for over. Now we're going to get into some of our serious Oscar stuff and uh, wrap out the show. Mark was going nuts over a whole bunch of old UA classics and uh, MGM classics that uh, are being released through 20th Century Fox, all on Blu-ray, starting with, Mark, our beloved Annie Hall. Yay. In a year when Woody Allen is once again nominated. I mean, Best Picture, man. It, it's been a while since he's gotten a Best Picture nomination. I know, I love it. Well, it's it, you know, I, was, I was looking at the nine Best Picture nominees, and yeah. I, was, I was seeing which ones would you get rid of if, if it was five. Yeah. You know the usual five, yeah. And ones like extremely loud would never have been nominated. No, would not, never, a, not a would, chance. Would never make the five. Even no. the help, I don't think would make the five. I, I, it, no, I think, think so because the actor, the actor votes. Yeah, that's true. The actor votes, but um, I think Midnight in Paris would have made it. I do too. I really do. I think it would have definitely. But well, Annie anyway. Hall is the one where uh, that's the one where Woody turned the corner. You yeah. know, he had just done these hilarious movies like Love and Death and Sleeper and Bananas, and all of a sudden, seventy-seven comes this thing called Annie Hall. And it was totally different, and it was unbelievably, fantastically brilliant. I remember I was so mad as a kid because I was like, what is this stupid movie that just beat Star Wars? And then I, of course, got older and I understood. Um, Annie Hall and the other one that's out alongside is Manhattan, Yay. both on Blu-ray. Buy them both. Annie Hall and Manhattan on Blu-ray is a Buy glorious thing. Now, the, the Manhattan Blu-ray, of course, goes without saying, this is just a, there's no other way to own this movie. We've been waiting for this forever. This is some of the best black and white photography you will ever see, and uh, Gordon Willis nails it. If you want to know why black and white film still captures things that video never, ever will, at least not in our lifetime, this will tell you. Meryl Streep, for crying out loud. It's the 70s all over again. Woody Allen, Meryl Streep, they're nominated again this year. How awesome is that? I love it. Uh, This is just wonderful. Manhattan is is fantastic, and Annie Hall, of course, is is just still one of the great all-time classic films. It's just so, it was such a trendsetter at the time. And um, let me tell you what these two have by way of extras. Okay, you ready? Uh, you know the apartment. <laughs> Woody Allen is—he has no interest in—he uh, has no interest in Blu-ray extras, DVD, no zero interest, zero zilch, none. Never has, never will. But the good thing is that the transfers are uh, are quite good. The Blu-ray transfers are quite good. UA did not shank that one. Uh, you know, a very strange film won uh, Best Picture in 1960, uh, a movie called The Apartment. 
This is a gr- it's a terrific film with Jack Lemmon, Shirley oh, MacLaine, so and uh, Fred McMurray, directed by the great Billy Wilder, and written of course by Wilder and his longtime partner I A L Diamond. Other known, otherwise known as Izzy. Izzy Diamond, and uh, <coughs> I don't know why I'm saying Diamond. Um, it's a terrific film, you know. But it, it, this this does seem like one of the last studio systemy films to win Best Picture, doesn't it? It's kind of like... It's not Easy Rider time, but it's not quite Ben-Hur time. It's like well, somewhere it's, in that it's, transition. It's the, year it's, after, a, it's the year after Ben-Hur. And, um, you know, Ben-Hur is an epic, of course. But yes, it feels very... It feels like Billy had the full resources of the studio at his disposal. To but just it, make something very polished, very... Yes. You know. But it's great. But it had a certain edge to it. I mean, it's about pe- got people cheating on their wives. Oh, and, I yeah. Mean, it had a certain uh, it edge has a, that would slowly and, seep And it has a jab. The... It has a very serious jab at Marilyn Monroe because he hated working with her on uh, Some Like Some It Hot. Some Like It Hot, that's yeah. true. Anyway, uh, it's just a great film. And uh, Lemon plays a guy who um, lends his apartment to his boss so his boss can cheat on his wife. Totally. And uh, Shirley MacLaine plays the elevator girl. But there's that great conversation between Jack Lemmon and Shirley MacLaine in the apartment. That thing's like it's like that scene is like 20 minutes long. You could never get away with that today. Love it. It's great. Uh, special features include an audio commentary um, from a, a film producer historian Bruce Block, which is like fine, and uh, a um, feature about Jack Lemmon. I love Jack Lemmon. One of my favorite actors growing up. He's awesome. And uh, it's the apartment. I love it. Who doesn't love the apartment, Wade? I love the apartment. You didn't take it from me, aren't you? You hate me. <laughs> Okay, also in that same list is a trio of Hitchcock films on Blu-ray for the very first time. And I'm going to say, without any reservations, don't get rid of your regular DVDs Criterion Collection. All three of these were on Criterion Collection DVDs back in the early, like, ten years ago. Hang on to them. Keep your Spellbound. Um, keep your um, Rebecca and keep your Notorious. Don't get rid of those. Um, but otherwise, you, you know, get the Blu-rays. Definitely double dip. They look great. Um, Rebecca uh, does not look as good as if you see it projected in a nitrate print, but I don't know how many people have that luxury. I saw a nitrate print projected because at UCLA they have one in the archives, and it's the, one of the most spectacular things I've ever seen on film. But um, pretty damn close is the Blu-ray. The Blu-ray is really, really terrific. Now, mind you, this is... Um, 1940, the year after Gone with the Wind, David O. Selznick captured yet another Best Picture two years in a row. And uh, it's a little bit Gone with the Wind-ish. It's sort of somewhere between those sensibilities and Jane Eyre, ironically, because Joan Fontaine would later sort of do a similar character in Jane Eyre. Laurence Olivier, uh, you know, it's the whole... If if you don't know this story, it's just freaking brilliant. But it's much more of a Selznick film than a Hitchcock film. Um... Spellbound and Notorious were also made uh, for Salznick, uh, but these are more of Hitchcock kind of taking his European sensibilities and bringing them to Hollywood. He had done a lot of great thrillers in the UK, but now he's got, in the case of Spellbound, Ingrid Bergman and Gregory Peck at his disposal, and in the case of Notorious, Cary Grant and Ingrid Bergman at his disposal. So, you know, Bergman working with two of the great leading men of, uh, of the day, and Hitchcock just finally getting the budget to do the kinds of stuff that he always wanted to do. These films are tremendous. There are a lot of great extras in all three of them. No time right now to go through them all, but uh, heaps of commentaries, isolated uh, isolated music and effects tracks, um, uh, restoration comparisons, uh, a lot of great behind-the-scenes stuff and featurettes. It, it just really excellent, excellent stuff. Again, don't get rid of your criterions. Keep the criterions, but you've got to get these as well, just, just because it's freaking gorgeous black-and-white Blu-ray. Wade... 
There's a movie. Yes. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> I, yo, I, I hate this film. I didn't I'm, realize that Julie Taymor directed this film. I yeah, totally forgot. It, that's why it sucks. It's terrible. Exactly. All that stuff where the paintings come to life and there's all kinds of weird. Problem with Julie Taymor is Julie. Problem with Julie Taymor is that she can't get out of the way of herself. No. This is uh, Frida from 2002. This uh, was it was it was well received. It was nominated for six Oscars. I, I didn't like this film. It's with uh, Selma Hayek plays the uh, troubled uh, painter Frida Kahlo. You know, it's funny when uh, I you know I heard that you know Frida died so young and you know, she died at 47. Yeah, she was old. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Uh, the film looks great because, um, if nothing else, um, Julie Timor is definitely a stylist, a visual stylist, so it looks terrific on Blu-ray. A lot of special features I ordered the over from the original blue, uh, uh, DVD. Yes? I hit the mic, just saying. Oh, okay. We, we, you know, we used to hit the mic every, uh, every show, but now we sort of, uh, you know... Got coordinated. Sometimes we do, sometimes we don't. Um, anyway, if you're interested in the life of Frida Kahlo, there's plenty of other uh, better sources to uh, go to get the real information. If you want the movie version, sure... Whatever. Not very good. Yeah. Um, I am so elated that this is finally on Blu-ray. The Piano, the amazing Jane Campion film that won, uh, that co-won the Palme d'Or at the Cannes Film Festival in 1993. The other one being uh, Farewell My Concubine, which is still not on Blu-ray, much to my chagrin. I was there that year. I saw both of these films, fanatically fell in love with both of them, and I remember saying, if I could have my wishes come true, they'd both win the Palme d'Or. And they did. It was an amazing year. Um... It really was. I have to say, however, the Blu-ray, not as great as I was really hoping for. This is one of the all-time great uh, photographic efforts of the last 25 years. It is just spectacularly beautiful work by Stuart Dryberg, who just nailed it. I mean, the whole kind of Victorian era in New Zealand and and the lushness and the coldness and the mystical qualities are just captured so beautifully on film. And they really do come across nicely in uh, on Blu-ray, but not as well as I really wanted. Um, but Holly Hunter, you know, Oscar-winning part. Uh, this film won uh, Best Screenplay as well. Anna Paquin, a, a, a shock winner that year for Supporting Actress. Um, Harvey Keitel, naked for who knows, one, 50th time on film. He really was enjoying kind of strutting his stuff in the, in the birthday suit back in those days. Yeah, try that now, Harvey. Yeah. <laughs> Please don't. Uh, all elsewhere from you know it's a, it's a big Miramax. Uh, it, 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 this week is basically an enormous Miramax document dump. Yeah, kind of. They're just coming out with film after film, and um, you know two films here that um, uh, I know I'm just so in the minority on some of these films. Uh, the English Patient um, won nine Academy Awards, including Best Picture and Best Director. I thought I, I was left cold by it. I, people love how emotional it is and sweeping and epping. I, to me, I thought these guys are all cold fish. I agree. It, it was Scott's more a wannabe out. Oscar. Contender, but that's Miramax. And that's that's what yeah. Harvey goes for. I mean, Harvey doesn't want. Har- it's like Harvey doesn't want to make an actual film of great genuine emotion. He wants to make a film that will win an Oscar. And if manufacturing sure. genuine emotions will will manufacture him an Oscar, he'll well, do that's that. Why it's better for him to acquire those films and to make them. I know. You know. And uh, the other one is Cold Mountain, which uh, was another Oscar bait film that won Renee Zellweger in Academy Award for some reason because she just annoyed the crap out of me. I don't like either. You know, I should really, you know what? I should watch English Patient again. They they are they both are really really solid Blu-rays. Um, oh, they they look great. They no, they look tremendous. I just I'm not in, enormously enthralled by either of them. Um, and they're both directed by the same guy, Anthony Minghella, who passed away what a year and a half ago. Yeah. Now? 
So sad. Wild. Yeah. But he was a good director. You know, he's very. He had. He was very. Uh, he he had. He had an epic eye, but he also was not afraid of intimacy. Truly, madly, deeply. Truly, madly, Probably deeply. Probably his best film with the with the with the weepiest performance ever by Alan Rickman. Yeah, um, yeah. Not not overly loaded with extras. It's all stuff that's been out before, which include the uh, the Anthony Mangala commentaries and Walter Murch. By the way, his his commentary. Uh, he participates in the commentary on Cold Mountain. Anything that Walter Murch says is wonderful to me. So, oh yeah. You know. Yeah. And Walter Murch. I mean, how old is that guy? That guy's got to be eighty. Yeah. Oh, such a, he's such a class act. And we have a couple of fabulous, fabulous, fabulous Blu-ray books here. Now, the original Blu-ray book concept was pioneered by Warner Brothers and uh, then adopted by some of the other studios like Universal. And we have two amazing classic films here. The first one being the Universal uh, Blu-ray book approach to, um, to Kill a Mockingbird. This is the 100th anniversary collector's series edition, uh, anniversary edition of To Kill a Mockingbird. Say that ten times fast. Uh, Universal is is having its 100th anniversary, so they're labeling all of these films as their 100th anniversary collector's series. And this is the anniversary edition of the collector's series. Does that make sense? Don't worry about it. Anyway, To Kill a Mockingbird belongs on Blu-ray. I'm amazed that this is now on Blu-ray, but the film that beat it for Best Picture that same year, Lawrence of Arabia, still is not. What's up, Columbia and Sony? Get your act together. We know Lawrence is finished. Put it out. Um, Gregory Peck, of course, beat uh, Peter O'Toole for Best Actor that year, and uh, To Kill a Mockingbird is a great film. Absolutely a great film. Um, just one of the great all-time books, but also one of the great all-time films. And Robert Mulligan nailed it. Elmer Bernstein's music nails it. Uh, this film is deeply touching. And the restoration and transfer is fantastic. It is just spectacular black-and-white Blu-ray. Lots of great stuff here. Robert Mulligan and uh, Alan Pakula, who produced it, uh, do the feature commentary, which, of course, was previously on the DVD because Alan J. Pakula has been dead for quite some time. And uh, remember, pole through the face. What a horrible accident that he was. was. Driving, he was driving on the highway or something, yeah. and, and a, 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 like a freeway sign fell on his car. It, no, it, it, something it, crazy. It, 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 no, it like came through the windshield and impaled him or something. It, just, it was awful. I have to look that up. Yeah. Anyway, uh, great feature-length documentary on here, uh, Fearful Symmetry, uh, thing, uh, like a feature-length uh, conversation with Gregory Peck, which is awesome as well. I mean, it really is just tons of great stuff here, so you just can't get away from the greatness of this movie. Um, so the, Pakula, this is in 1998, was driving on a suburban highway when a metal bar crashed through the windshield and struck his head. Isn't that awful? It's just horrendous. Wow. The other Blu-ray book here is Malcolm X, which was supposed to come out like a couple of months ago, and then they killed the release date and then restored it. I think there were some rights issues with music or something like that. I'm not clear. But anyway, you get a 40-page book, tons of production information here, two-disc release, um, awesome commentary by Spike Lee along with Ernest Dickerson and uh, their editor, Barry Alexander Brown, who's a really sweet guy, by the way. I interviewed him when he directed the film Lonely in America years and years ago. Oh, really nice drop. guy. Uh, deleted scenes, featurette, trailer. It you know not just busting with extras, but this film is so incredibly good and incredibly well photographed. Ernest Dickerson's best work probably ever. I almost would even say I think this is Spike Lee's best film ever. Uh, Denzel Washington, pretty close to his best performance ever. Um, this film did not get a lot of love. A lot of people felt it was sort of revisionist history and, and a bit of a whitewash of a very controversial figure. But you know what? It's a movie. Look up, go to a documentary database or go to an encyclopedia, read the history, but the movie has to work as a movie, and this one does. It is so touching, so old-fashioned, classic Hollywood biopic stuff. 
and on Blu-ray, it is just mind-boggling, especially the audio. This film has an incredible audio mix, and it just gets yourself going on 5.1, 7.1. It just kills it, absolutely kills it. It sounds like Spike Lee's back with uh, Red Hook Summer, which uh, played to uh, enthusiastic yeah. Sundance His, crowds. And it's not a sequel. It's not a sequel to Do the Right Thing. Although there is one character who well, does Mookie, show up. Mookie. Well, Mookie shows yeah, up. Yeah, Mookie shows up. And then lastly, uh, as long as we're talking about the whole Miramax approach, there is a uh, Academy Award winner's five-film collection on Blu-ray. And uh, this includes Shakespeare in Love, No Country for Old Men, Crash, The English Patient, and Chicago. All of them in one big, splashy, squishy uh, Best Picture set. And um, it's pretty terrific, you know. Uh, we talked previously about The English Patient, um, but uh, Shakespeare in Love and Chicago, No Country for Old Men, Crash... That's a that's a that's a, a really nice collection. Oh yeah, I mean normally multi-film collections always have like one great film and, yeah. and a bunch of ringers. There's no ringer here. These are all these are all best, best picture winners. Yeah, it's incredible. But yeah. it, it also goes to show you how many Miramax films have won best picture. Yeah, but four of these just within the past decade. You know, Shakespeare and Love's the only one from the previous decade. Um, no, English Patient as well. English Patient and Shakespeare and Love, previous decade, Chicago, No Country for Old Men, and Crash. But, of course, Crash, not a Miramax film. That's a Lionsgate film. So, uh, but because they're, you know, partners in, uh, in releasing stuff to Blu-ray and DVD, it works out quite nicely. So, gosh, you, you just, I mean, seriously. But there's no extras on the uh, Blu-rays, is there? Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's a very, very nice set. Very, very nice. Very nice. So, uh, come on, it just kills it. This is, this is a, a master Blu-ray set. And very disappointing way that we had no audio questions. Nobody sent us an audio question. No, you guys go to the program. We love your audio questions. Gods at digigods.com. Record it, send it, we'll play it on the show. And we'll even answer it. 